the Blue Bomber Podcast. That is, wow, that's fantastic. I like that. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast in iTunes or at cjob.com. It is the Blue Bomber Podcast. Greg Mackling along with... Christian O'Mel, DT, going to sit this one out this week as he does calisthenics and all sorts of other exercises, getting ready for the game of the 2023 CFL season. Is there any doubt that that's how we're looking at Friday night in Vancouver, Christian? No, of course not. It's for the West. It's for first place. It's for home field. And we know that home field matters so much in getting to the Grey Cup. I think DT has the stats, but it's like two-thirds of the time the team that makes the Grey Cup hosted the division final. We've seen the Blue Bombers go on the road. They've done it the hard way, but it's definitely a lot easier when all you got to do is win one home game and you're in the Grey Cup, right? And I'm thinking, and I said this on the post-game show, I'm thinking that this is like one of the few marquee games we've had all year, right? Because of how imbalanced it has been in the CFL, where for most of the year, there have only been three teams with winning records. And Toronto versus Winnipeg last week wasn't, you know, what it was cracked up to be. It ended up being a close game, but certainly some of the allure was gone. And then Toronto versus BC was early and Vernon Adams threw six picks, right? Mm-hmm. So that turned out to be not a, the best game either. So here we are, BC versus Winnipeg. The first two games also sucked, right? One team crushed the other in each one. So here we go, Clash of the Titans. Both teams pretty healthy going into this do-or-die game. Because remember, game two when these two teams faced, it was Dane Evans and then Dom Davis, and it, BC just never had a hope in that second meeting. Well, last week, Blue Bomber fans, and of course we were lamenting the fact that Chad Kelly wasn't in the lineup for the Toronto Argonauts, didn't, didn't play a single snap, didn't face the Blue Bomber defense. Is there some part of Christian O'Mel that says <laughs> if you're a Blue Bomber fan, maybe you would be okay with the idea that their starting quarterback, Vernon Adams Jr., wasn't going to be starting this week, that maybe it would be better if the Bombers were were facing Dane Evans coming up on Friday at BC Place. It, it's one of those situations where you can't please all the fans all the time. No, and uh, would it make it easier to win if Dane Evans was out there? Sure. I think we said that going into last week's game against Toronto. It sucks from a, you know, a, a league-wide standpoint that Chad Kelly's not playing, but the fact that Cameron Dukes is out there ended up not you know, being all that bad. Toronto was still very competitive in that game. Uh, we've already seen, though, Dane Evans in one game against Winnipeg just not have it this year, and he has not looked good in other games either. Uh, the fact that VA is going to be back, and he's he's battled injuries all season. Don't get me wrong. He's been a little streaky here and there. He throws a bunch of picks, but it's, that team is just way better with, with him at the helm, and they've got their offensive weapons pretty much all ready to go. Keon Hatcher's having a great year. Dominic Rimes has been in and out of the lineup, but a full-strength BC Lions team and a, what a fan base that has been reborn the last couple of years in this successful run they've had under new ownership. It's going to be a great environment Friday night in BC. But Winnipeg's gone in there before, and, and they've won big games. And I reckon that they will be... Oh, I, don't, I haven't checked the early line, but it's they might be the slight favorites. I should double-check that before I talk too much, but... I oh, oh. <laughs> So I just uh, jumped off my lap and ripped my headset off. So you can <laughs> leave that in if you want, or you can 
uh, delete that later. But I'm I'm just we've had so like I said so few like big games. We were waiting for that Toronto game for so long, and then you know it it was close, but it was such a weird game. And now we finally get this this one game. There's been what no marquee games in the East all year because Toronto's just been so far ahead of everybody. Saskatchewan's a dud this year. Calgary stinks. Edmonton's finally winning games again, but like. It's been a weird CFL season, Greg, because there's just not that many good teams. And from week to week, there are some good games, yeah. But this one, the stakes really, the, the stakes aren't going to get higher for regular season game in the CFL than this one coming up Friday. No, I would argue this is the first playoff game of the year in the CFL. And, you know, no matter who wins the game, they're going to underplay it. Whoever loses the game is also going to underplay it because they survive to play another week and their circumstances will be their circumstances. Uh, you know, I know a lot of people don't like the saying it is what it is, but that's really will be the approach come late Friday night on the West Coast, early Saturday morning here in Manitoba. And when the Bombers get back to Winnipeg, it's going to be the conversation all about, well, you know, we got a bye week and uh, we got two games left and we got to go one and oh twice and and all the things we're used to hearing from the Blue Bombers. But make no mistake about it. This is a playoff game coming up on Friday night. It is a marquee matchup and I would agree, really the only one we've seen that's legitimately uh, going to be a marquee match matchup whether it lives up to the building billing we'll find out obviously uh, when they play the game but outside of the marquee matchups because of the time of the season on labor day and then the the rematch games the following weekend yeah this is the first time we're really seeing that this year so you, you touched on what we saw friday night at ig field a sold out crowd loud at times very quiet at others 31-21, the Blue Bombers ultimately prevail uh, largely on the leg of Sergio Castillo because the Blue Bombers had a hard time getting into the end zone and the legs of Brady Oliveira. What a tremendous performance by the Blue Bomber star running back. And I got to tell you, that conversation about who's the most outstanding player in the league is starting to include Brady again. It is. Uh, and, and the big factor in that, Greg, is just going to be how much does Chad Kelly play down the stretch? Because he is the clear favorite to win that award right now. But if he only plays a handful down the stretch and Brady Oliveira ends up rushing for some crazy number, does he all of a sudden become... Uh, a part of this conversation to at least be the, the West nominee. And, and Derek's talked a number of times about voter fatigue and in Zach Kolaris and his numbers this past week were, were nothing too crazy, right? In uh, the win over Toronto, Kolaris goes 22 of 33 for 258, one touchdown, one pick. That's good. I wouldn't call it great. Whereas, you know, 169 for Oliveira, along with a reception for a touchdown. I mean, he's putting up monster numbers here. And for a guy taking over for Andrew Harris last year, he had a bit of a slow start to his time as the feature back, right? It was a split job with Johnny Augustine to start things, right? That's how it was billed to start last season. He ends up taking over the job. And and how great has he been this year in, you know, coming into his prime right now as the key running back, not just in the the Blue Bombers backfield, but in the CFL. And, and we can debate the merits of of what running backs mean in football nowadays. We know in the NFL they've become as expendable as ever, but I still feel in the CFL, it's a passing game, no doubt about it. But 
when you've got a guy like Brady Oliver, when you've got a guy like Andrew Harris from 2016 to 2021, it's such a difference maker. It's an added weapon on offense and the Blue Bomber offensive line that's been uh, still pretty good this year. Maybe has ha- hasn't been as strong as in years past, but they're still able to run the ball. It's such a, a great clip. Yeah, Brady Oliveira is certainly becoming a part of that conversation. Last time I checked, he was the third favorite, Like, but it was like Chad Kelly, then Kolaris, and then a big drop to Oliveira for the odds. So he's going to have to keep doing this over the next four games to cement that. And and uh, again, I'm not sure you know how much it's going to matter uh, for the – or three games, I should say, yeah. I'm just not – we talked about this on your, on your show Monday morning – it just comes down to who's going to play that last week. And and if Kelly rests and Oliveira, if they all rest, then, mm-hmm. you know, you just, you just take the, the body of work going into those final games. Cause we know Toronto's got nothing left to play for. Chad Kelly's probably going to play not every game going forward. So it's certainly a, a factor that voters will have to look into is, how many of these stats were in games that mattered? Well, the other name that's uh, starting to get in that conversation, too, is Vernon Adams, the quarterback in BC. So uh, if VA wants to really put a stamp on that conversation mm-hmm. and, and kick the door open, he could really do that on Friday night, depending on what he does against the Blue Bombers. So when you're talking about three of the four names on the list, in consideration for the outstanding player in the league and three of them are playing Friday night. You don't want to miss this one. Get a nap. It doesn't start till nine o'clock. You will not want to miss this game. Get together with friends, uh, head out and watch it, sit around your campfire and listen to it. However you do it, do not miss it. And, you know, we haven't really spoken or discussed too much about the details other than Brady's performance on Friday night against Toronto. Is there a concern that the Bombers weren't able to, to cash in? Uh, they had an untimely um, turnover when it looked like they were going in for some points and that turned into three extra points for Toronto. I know had the game finished a little bit differently, that would have been a potential turning point right near the end of the first half. Those are mistakes the Bombers have to cut out of their game and Brady put the ball on the ground and he he knows he ha- he can't do that. Right, we're we're singing his praises after this fantastic performance, but that's that's 100% his fault, right? And and he gave away points on that drive. Bombers are I feel like you're going to score a touchdown, but it could have been just a field goal given their struggles to get into the end zone in the game. But that was a potential big momentum swing. It really, really dulled the energy in that building. It changed it a lot going into the half where it feels like, all right, here comes Winnipeg. They've got it going now. Here they go. Oh, oh no. Oh, no. And then I talked to Nick Dembski at the half, and you know the mood was, wasn't as good going into the locker room, but clean up mistakes, and, and they'll get it done. And, well, they eventually got it done. The defense, let's face it, the defense in in the win allowed seven points after the first quarter, right? They fall behind 14-7, and the defense does its job. Uh, you got to give them a lot of credit. I don't, I don't want to go as far as to say Ben, but don't break because I, I think it's better than that. But we also have to remember, okay, they were playing Cameron Dukes and then Brian Scott for part of that game. The Argos, in a close game, put in their third stringer because they wanted him to get reps. That's how much the game meant to them, right? Yeah, good point. It was all about reps, and and Winnipeg just needed to win it. They got it done. I am concerned, yeah, that they were only able to get in the end zone twice in a game in which they scored 31 points. But you also have to tip your cap to Toronto, and remember, it's not like they've sat every starter in this game. They only sat a few, and they still had a lot of good players out there on defense. This is a defense that's been 
really, really hard to play against all season. And just because Jamal Peters and Winton McManus and Sean Oakman weren't out there, yeah, they still have a lot of other very capable guys. They were able to buckle down in the scoring zone for Winnipeg. So, yeah, you're going to need to be able to score three or four touchdowns for sure, I think, on Friday this week to win. But I think the Bombers are capable of that. I don't think BC's defense is quite as strong as Toronto's is, though we saw them hold Winnipeg to six earlier this year. So who knows? Blue Bombers, I think, only punted once on Friday night. That's sort of lost in the whole, uh, mm-hmm. you know, the whole discussion about what's going on. And you know, Sergio Castillo was a crossbar and an upright away from being seven for seven on the night. I think it was a fifty-two or fifty-three yarder that he ultimately missed. Hit the post. And then hit the crossbar, and it, it it stayed out. But, Christian, that's not a formula Blue Bomber fans are unfamiliar with. I think Justin Medlock was 6-for-6 six six in the 2019 Grey Cup game. He was, yes. And the, the Medlock years, really, from, like, what's 18 to 21, right? Maybe not so much 21, but certainly, like, before Zach Kolaris got here, this team just loved to kick field goals, right? They would get to the 30 or the 20, and then that would be it. And then they'd put Medlock out there and he'd almost always convert, right? So he was so money and his his volume was always so high. He'd always have the most field goals in the league and he'd hit at such a good rate because the Bombers offense stalled out a lot. But the weapons they have in 2023 are so much more plentiful than what Matt Nichols was throwing to and what Chris Traveler was throwing to. And, and the early days of, of Zach Kalar, some of them are still here. A lot of them, in fact, are still here, but they're better now right. than they were in 2019 and in 2021 right kenny lawler is is being the target of a lot of defense but dalton Schoen obviously wasn't here in 19 or, or 21 he's been awesome again this year nick dembski is very close to having his first thousand yard receiving season drew waltarski still catching clutch se- second down conversions bailey hasn't been a huge part of things after coming back for a for a discount but they just have too many guys to spread the ball around to. And one of the reasons you have all these players is because if someone gets hurt, well, then you have that depth. And really, they've been they've been pretty healthy at receiver, right? Lawler missed time because he was suspended. Or because, not because he was suspended, but because he was uh, going through his immigration issues too. But it's been really a, a healthy offense pretty much this entire season. Kolaris missed a game in a bit. That's been such a huge story of this Winnipeg uh, success over the last few years is their health, right? They have been, for the most part, able to avoid big injuries, so many quarterbacks going down around the league, and Winnipeg's lost theirs for a game and two-thirds, right? And that's been it. So that's huge. We obviously knock on wood and hope that continues. And for all the teams, because in the Grey Cup, in the West Final, you want the A-teams going head-to-head. You want to, yeah, you want to win, but I think you want to win for real, right? You don't want an asterisk. You don't want someone to say, yeah, but that player wasn't out there or this player wasn't out there. You want the teams to be at their best and know, hey, we earned that 100% and that's why we're the champions because we beat everyone at their best too. Keon Hatcher, uh, BC's leading receiver in terms of number of receptions at 69. Dalton, and that's fifth in the league, by the way. Dalton Schoen right behind him at 66. And then you've got Alexander Hollins at 65 receptions. And right behind him is Nick 
Dembski with 60. So you mentioned the parallels and the and the comparison in terms of the talent level of these receiving cores. And, and clearly, when it comes to quarterback, you can talk about history all you want. But right now, Vernon Adams is the only quarterback in the CFL to throw for more than 4,000 yards to this point this season. He has 28 touchdown passes. Zach Caleros has 30. Zach's thrown for 3,738 yards. It's like These teams are incredibly evenly matched. And so let's go back to number 20. Let's go back to Brady Oliveira. If you're comparing offenses, is that where the genuine difference lies? Yeah, it has to, right? He's got 1,359 yards and Taquan Mazel has 750, right? He's, he's almost doubled BC's top running back. That's a gigantic difference in yards when you account for how dynamic both passing attacks are. That Oliveira factor is huge. Now, if Winnipeg falls behind, do they go to the run still? Or do they abandon it, right? Because that's that's one of the things when teams fall behind. This this feels like it's going to be a game in which a lot of points are scored. I think that it's you want to get thirty. I think that that could be enough to win. But I'm not sure. By the way, on the CFL's website, BC is a one and a half point favorite at this very moment. But it seems like the line's going down. Um, but it it should be knock on wood. It should be an outstanding offensive display. And honestly, I. This isn't, I think, groundbreaking to say this, but turnovers will likely decide this football game because we've seen Winnipeg get away with Zach Kalars throwing those two pick sixes to Montreal. We did not see him get away with it against Hamilton, where they turned the ball over a bunch and they lost that football game, weren't able to overcome an early deficit. BC has also had games, too, where Vernon Adams Jr. was just giving the ball away. That Toronto game, aforementioned, he threw six picks. The Ottawa game that they inexplicably won was almost to some degree in spite of Vernon Adams Jr. He kept turning the ball over, and then Ottawa just handed the game back to them thanks to that long kick return or missed field goal return that really helped their cause. But the fact that we're here, two teams at 11-4 and four that have had these hiccups, that have had moments where they definitely don't look invincible, but... That's that's where we are right now. There is no perfect team in the CFL this year. There's no 2021 Winnipeg Blue Bomber team in this CFL season. You've got two very good teams in Winnipeg and BC. You've got a very good team in Toronto. If you have question Toronto for anything, it's that the East seems to be pretty bad and they keep beating up on the East. But hey, you beat the teams that are there in front of you. Three clearly good teams. We get two of them Friday night and it's going to be awesome. So if Brady's the difference in the backfield, does BC have the advantage in terms of the defensive line. And I certainly wouldn't say this with Willie Jefferson and Jackson Jeffcoat sitting in the studio with me, but I have to ask the question, Matthew Betts far and away leads the league in sacks with 15. Derek Taylor has been lamenting somewhat the lack of production from Willie Jefferson on, on the defensive line for the blue bombers. He sits at eight. I think he's going on week. This will be his uh, eight weeks without a sack doesn't mean he's not putting on pressure doesn't mean he's not knocking down footballs but is the defensive line play I think there's three areas I'm leading you a little bit here I'm just going to declare it I think there are three areas up for debate about where this game will be decided other than at running back I think it's defensive line offensive line play I think it's also going to be in the defensive backfield because BC's got a 
pretty good defensive backfield, but also kick coverage and kick returns. Janarian Grant, does he get back this week? I don't know. Even if he does, how effective will he be? You already outlined a play that turned and flipped the script in that Ottawa-BC game in Vancouver two weeks ago, a missed field goal return for a touchdown by the Lions. I think other than at running back, those are your three areas where Winnipeg is going to have to be better than BC, and there's a chance BC could be better. I would agree with you on all those fronts. Let's start with the defensive line. Winnipeg in the first loss to BC, the defensive line ate Winnipeg's offensive line for lunch. It was a complete manhandling in that game. And in game two, it wasn't really a factor, right? They didn't get to Zach Hilaris nearly as much. The offensive line did a great job of protecting. And then, of course, Dean Evans was the quarterback as Winnipeg managed to put up a 50-burger on the lines. That was stunning that they scored that many points because BC's defense we didn't think was you know that bad. But I think Jackson Jeffcoat being back, we saw him against Toronto. They after a first quarter where Cameron Dukes was just able to go where he wanted to, they did a good job of closing all that down and, and they took away what was a pretty conservative offensive attack by the Toronto Argonauts as that game went along. I think they did a good job there, but I'm not sure how much of a big test that actually was compared to what BC is going to be bringing on Friday. Defensive backfield, we saw Demario Houston get uh, his ankle tweaked in that game. He's been a ball hawk all season. Is he going to be able to play on Friday, or is, or is he going to be out? And they have to go down the depth chart. We know Desmond Lawrence was practicing coming off the six-game injured list, so he's an option to come back in the lineup. That's a spot that opponents will probably try to test right away on Friday. The Lions should... They've got a lot of weapons offensively. You mentioned Hollins, Hatcher, Dominic Rimes. They have uh, really good players to test that secondary. But I, I really agree. The special teams is, an, is just enormous in this football game because ever since Janarian Grant went out, you know, Jamal Parker had that strong return that was called back because of a penalty on Friday. But it's for years when Grant's been out, they haven't really had a, a return game. It's been a big struggle for this team, and I wouldn't think he's going to be back this week. He could be. I don't think it's going to happen. I could be wrong, but I would I would stake the claim that he's not going to be back on Friday. And so, if you're Winnipeg, you're you're just trying not to make it a, a net a net loss. The real problem for Winnipeg is going to be covering the kicks, right? Because That's Terry right. Williams has shown his dynamism this season in yeah averages ten yards per punt return. That is pretty decent um you go down the list and kick returns too he's been a, a pretty solid kick returner this year i don't know if he's as dynamic as he once was for sure but i know what we saw i know what's not as dynamic game. as it once was and that's the blue bomber kickoff coverage teams toronto started with the ball damn near every time off a blue bomber kickoff at their 40 45 touching the 50 yard line that has not been good and not just recently christian the bomber kick coverage teams have been a question mark all season long yeah absolutely it's been a problem because if you if your opponent is two first downs away from three points that's not that hard to do, right? Stringing together six, seven, eight first downs on this Blue Bobber defense, that's not easy. But to get a couple, that's not that big of an ask. So, and especially if you're around that part of the field, you feel more comfortable going for it on third and one. 
that's a, a big game changer in making teams more comfortable because this bomber defense is still pretty strong. But if you only have to drive 40, 60 yards instead of 80 or 90, yeah, that's that's a big factor. And the kick return team, we've, we've seen it game after game, just uh, especially that Saskatchewan loss where Mario Alford completely flipped the field. And, and Alford is, is definitely, I think, a more dynamic returner than Williams is at this point. But you still have to respect his game and what this Lions dynamic offense we've seen players go back on special teams and do stuff too i don't really have the highest faith in this blue bomber special teams at the moment i think mike miller not playing all year we're starting to see what life's going to be like without mike miller he's down there he's still on the uh he's on the sixth game and he's basically a, it feels like a coach at this point is he not but yes it's it's definitely a reality that oh the best special teamer ever is no longer out there covering kicks oh okay who's going to step up and there have been moments where players step up with Cadwallader, Hallett, and the like making plays. But as a whole, yeah, that's been an area to expose for opponents. Well, and it's nice to have Sergio Castillo, you know, I'm not going to say he's automatic. He's had, he's had, you know, obviously just about every game has been perfection. But he's had a couple of games where, you know, he's he's missed one or two field goals. And so not like last year where you had to, if we're at the 37, if we're at the 40, are we trotting out Legio because it's like a 60, 70% chance he's making this, which means there's a 40 to 30% chance he's missing. And if you've got a guy like Terry Williams back to receive and catch that missed field goal, you may just not go for the field goal at all you make you might make a different decision and that'll be part of what i'll be watching on friday night as well is just if if sergio has a typically sergio night then the bombers don't need to worry about that but i can't help but feel as though that's in the back of your head when you're trotting sergio out for a 53 yard field goal i know you're comfortable that he's going to make it but with your coverage teams playing the way they are you got to wonder sometimes if it's worth the risk yeah, we've seen O'Shea be risk averse. I think in a lot of those occasions, they'll be, they're okay with punting in those spots. They they like Jamison Sheehan and his ability to get it close without kicking it into the end zone. I mean, Castillo's been really good this year. Thirty six of forty is ninety percent. That's third best in the CFL. He's missed four kicks. Legio's missed six. I think the big difference between them is is converts. Right? They both missed five, but. Castillo's attempted 51, and Legio's attempted 23. Yeah, no, fair, fair enough. And I think Castillo, of his four misses, two were in one game. Uh, one mm-hmm. was on Friday night, and so that was really the game I was pointing to was that one game. Yeah. And 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 I think he understood that. I, I'm not by any means suggesting that the kicking game is a concern for the Bombers. But like I say, just in the back of your head, when your cover teams aren't as strong as they've been historically, I think that's got to play into your decision, no matter how good your field goal kicker has been all season long. That's true. Absolutely. And, and we, I mean, we saw it when he missed a convert against Hamilton and Tyreek McAllister took it back for a game-changing two points, right? That that swung the game and the Bobbers never recovered from that gap. That's a coverage mistake, right? That's what can happen when you've got a field goal cover team instead of, you know, a punt or a kickoff return cover team, right? It's, it's more offensive linemen that are out there. It's more vulnerable for a big return. And so, yeah, that's out there for sure in the back of your mind. If, if you're in that 48 to 54 yard range, we know Castillo can hit that as long as you're 53. There's no there's no lack of faith in his ability for sure. And and you're going to have a great kicking matchup here with Sean White, who's been awesome this year too, 41 of 44. He's, no one's attempted um, 
no one's made more field goals, I should say. The the Owls have actually attempted the most with with 48, David Cote. But it's been uh, a really strong part of the Blue Bomber game after what happened in the Great Cup. And if, but yes, there's that that part that you wonder because if there is a missed re- kick uh, field goal return in BC's favor, it's almost certainly going to swing the game massively and could decide it if that does happen. Yeah, for sure. I was just taking a look at tickets. I know that there are some Blue Bomber fans heading to Vancouver for this game. Of course, it's a long weekend for most of us. It's Thanksgiving on Monday, and uh, who's turning down the opportunity or an excuse to go to Vancouver if you can afford to do so? Uh, Some really good tickets still available, so uh, hit up ticketmaster.ca if you want to head out to Vancouver, cheer on the blue and gold. I promise you will not be alone. Lots of Blue Bombers call British Columbia home. Lots of people on the lower mainland. Blue Bomber Nation is well represented when the Lions host the Blue Bombers. And uh, what an opportunity for, uh, for like I said, the first playoff game of the year. It's unofficial, uh, but uh, it's going to have that feel. And it's going to be a, a special opportunity for the Blue Bombers, in my mind, to just once again to say, you're ready to write us off because we only beat Toronto by 10 points? Yeah, okay. How about this in the most important game of the year? I'm not making a prediction. I'm just saying it's an opportunity for the Blue Bombers to show everybody in the CFL who the top dogs remain. And we know that if that game was in Winnipeg, it'd be sold out already, right? Oh, let's not even talk about that. BC has BC places bigger. I understand. That. Well, they've well, only got the lower bowl open, so just you know, they're not expecting. They're not going for the sixty thousand sellout or right. fifty six, whatever the new capacity is since the renovations. They're they're looking at thirty thousand. That's going to be their goal is to fill that lower bowl. And I would say there's several thousand tickets left. And uh, yeah, you're right. Of course, this game would have been sold out two weeks ago if it was being played in Winnipeg on Friday. But BC Lions, their fans, that franchise, a massive turnaround and a healthy CFL franchise in Vancouver is good for the entire league. Christian, we'll let you go. Look forward to your work on uh, the CJOB Sports Show and, of course, on the Jets, on the uh, Bomber broadcast as well. Always great for you to uh, join us on the podcast. We appreciate you, brother. Yeah, my pleasure, Greg. Thanks for having me. I'm Skylar Peters. Welcome into the film room. When these two teams match up, it's quickly become appointment viewing. The meetings, though, few and far between. But lately, they've all been high stakes and highly anticipated. After just three weeks of play in the 2022 CFL regular season, we had no way of knowing the Toronto Argonauts would rise to the top of the CFL's East Division, themselves off to a one-and-one start. Everyone knew what the Winnipeg Blue Bombers were bringing to the table, aiming for their third straight Grey Cup and the odds-on favorite to do so. But even though we had no way of knowing this would be a Grey Cup preview, the chance for Andrew Harris, who traded blue and gold for double blue that winter, to suit up against his hometown team for the first time, had enough people fired up for this one. July 4th, 2022, BMO Field in Toronto, Ontario, this one got started with a bang. Wilson blitzing, throwing wide to Banks again. Undercut it, Rose has it. 40, 35, Winston Rose. 
is gonna stroll into the end zone. Welcome to the field side, Winston Rose, touchdown. Brandon Banks had built a reputation for being quick, but on that one, Rose was quicker, jumping the route and taking it untouched 46 yards to the house. Bethel Thompson would be picked off again by the Bombers, this time Nick Taylor, and Winnipeg would soon double down. Drops on second and 10, buys some time, throws it up, and it's complete for the touchdown! Wolitarski. It is Wolitarski caught it at the two, turned around and dove into the end zone for the touchdown. And if you think Drew Wolitarski wasn't fired up for that one. Fearless. Drew's fearless. He made a great catch. Uh, uh, he made a guy miss or you know, fought a guy off. And, you know, when he's around the end zone, he's going to score. The Bombers would extend their lead to 17-0 shortly after, but as we've come to find out between these two teams, no advantage is safe when it comes to the Argos playing from behind. Boris Beattie would get three points back before half, and at the outset of the third quarter, some life injected into the home crowd. Picked up this time, McLeod Bethel Thompson going deep. He's got Banks, but Houston steps in front of it. What? And Banks has the ball for the touchdown? I thought that was an interception. How did Banks get the ball? We need to see this on a replay. It's an Argos touchdown to make it 17-9. Speedy B showing off some strength instead, wrestling the ball away from Houston as the two fell to the ground. But it took a while for this one to stand up as the league instituted an official review. I was going to challenge down by contact, but uh, they had looked at it, so there was no point. I specifically asked if they had looked at that aspect because there's so many aspects on that play. There's so many things going on that they have to look at. Sometimes you'd hate to hear that they missed one of the aspects. So once they confirmed that they did look at down by contact, they said the ball was loose. All of a sudden, it's a one-score game. Two more pairs of field goals traded, and now deep into the fourth quarter, the Argos marching down 23-16. The Bombers just a half minute away from victory. The Argos on their first of three tries to score from the two-yard line. To the right, dumps it off to the end zone, and flipping into the end zone is Markeith Ambles. The touchdown with 25 seconds to go. It's Winnipeg 23 and the Argos 22. All of a sudden, this one destined for overtime. The game, Boris Beattie. Or so we thought. All of that second half momentum by Toronto squirreled away off the foot of Beattie on a dead left shank. I remember heading into the kitchen to grab another bevy before OT. That never happened. Still had the drink, though. And everyone in the Bomber locker room minutes later knew they got away with one. You know, I mean, it, it wasn't pretty, but, it, you know, we got the job done. You know, you know a win's a win. Uh, always things to learn from here. Well, I think the percentage was higher than 90, but, um, you know, from a quality kicker like BD, you definitely don't expect it. But, you know, those things happen. That's why you got to line up and play every play and um, can't take anything for granted. Hey, two points. Let's get out of here before they change the score. Most of the big moments in this game played out with the Bombers on defense. And clearly, Ryan Dinwiddie hasn't forgotten, saying the Bombers' D-line is a big reason why Chad Kelly won't be playing tonight in Winnipeg. It was that style of game that Adam Big Hill cherishes. I mean, they ran the ball a lot, which is, you know, um, you know, not necessarily what Toronto's been known for in the past, but, I mean, Andrew there, I mean, things have changed a bit. So 
it was action-packed. I mean, uh, a, a lot of things to do, a lot of things to see, and, and a lot of people to hit. And the guys on the other side of the ball were ready to give props to the defense. It's a good feeling. The defense was unbelievable, causing a lot of turnovers. Um, you know, Legs did a great job in the kicking game. And, uh, you know, offensively, we had to, we just had to continue to get better, uh, stay in the football field, uh, execute better on first down, convert on second down, and score more touchdowns. The stat sheet might not have showed it as much as the eye test did, but it was another gem of a game from Adam Big Hill. So no surprise, this former linebacker was giving Biggie his flowers after the game, even though Mike O'Shea says there are some fundamental differences in the way those two play. I don't think I ever want <laughs> a pass rush in, in any of my days. The Bombers came off that win with a short week ahead and a big matchup with the BC Lions looming. And that's exactly what awaits them next week, too. They've been building this uh, up for a number of years, right? This isn't like the first time that we're facing something like this. So um, I believe we'll be, we'll be rolling. So while we will absolutely not overlook the next 60 minutes of football about to play out here in Winnipeg, I offer you that from O'Shea from 14 months ago. Clearly, it still applies today. Now it's time to get rolling in front of 33,000 at IG Field and a cast of thousands here on 680 CJOB. Skylar Peters, the film room guru, the master of one of my favorite features on our pregame coverage, and I like it so much. It's part of our podcast every single week. So Skylar joins us now and... Uh, Sometimes a win is a loss, a loss is a win, and I don't think that was the case Friday night, but there sure are a number of Blue Bomber fans who are saying, you couldn't beat that team by more than 10 points? Where do you sit? Uh, I am going to say the jury is out for me, and uh, we'll just see what happens in Vancouver, British Columbia this week. Um, I did say at the end of the film room, uh, let's not allow us to overlook the the last sixty seconds of foot or uh, sixty minutes of football that were about to be played um, right after that played uh, on the pregame show at IG Field. But you know, get a win over this shorthanded team, intentionally shorthanded. That Ryan Dinwiddie doing that to himself. Of course, they have nothing to play for now. Uh, and you know, go to the big eleven and four versus eleven and four matchup in a you know tiebreaker hangs in the balance, and we'll see where these two teams stand uh, after uh, the final four weeks of the regular season too. So, yeah. It, they didn't look great at times, but I thought they, were, they showed a whole lot of resolve, especially on defense, because they got punched in the mouth in the first quarter by Cameron Dukes and A.G. Wallet and the rest of the uh, shorthanded Argos offense. And then, uh, man, Sergio Castillo, I hope you're icing that knee wherever you are. Seven field goal attempts. They were all over, I think, 29 yards was the shortest, and he uh, went six for seven with a double doink on one. So, uh, yeah, I mean, win, a win's a win. They don't, they don't change the score after the fact. So moving on. I was concerned you were in the, uh, yeah, it wasn't big enough, wasn't impressive enough camp. I'm not in that camp because I think you play the game, you play the team that's presented to you. Toronto's been doing that all year, right? Uh, they've got four games against Hamilton this year. They've been beaten up on some other teams in the East based on this imbalanced schedule, and we beat to death the whole conversation about the, how the CFL's got to rectify the scheduling situation, if at the very least, nothing else than to make sure the Grey Cup finalists meet one another very early in the season. So we don't need to go down that road again. BC Lions, I've been impressed with the Lions all season. The only 
you know, these two teams have played one another twice, and the only time Vernon Adams was in the lineup, he lit up the Blue Bomber defense. Dane Evans was the quarterback of record when the Bombers returned the favor a few weeks later. So, really, the genuine measuring stick in my mind is that early game when the Lions made the Blue Bombers not only look mortal, not only made them look human, made them look bad. Yeah, I was kind of hoping Antonio Pipkin might still be on the uh, lines. We just go three for three with three different quarterbacks here against the Bars. But yeah, the only thing is, I think that was week three or week four. Uh, That's a long, long time ago, especially in the CFL regular season. Um, We knew the Bombers were off to a slow start already by that point uh, in the season before that game against BC happened. And yeah, they got beat by 25 or 30, whatever it was in their own house. It didn't look good. The offensive line didn't look good. That was the position group of concern, I think, early on in the season for the blue and gold. And, um, you know, you just have to look back to Friday night to see you know, just how far they've come in, in a veteran group that's kind of found themselves again. And uh, some of the holes they opened up. Yeah, there was no Sean Oakman uh, up front for Toronto and, and one of the best defensive linemen in the CFL. But, uh, you know, a big reason why Brady Oliveira had 169 on the ground and was able to, uh, you know, get out in space and catch a couple of passes too so um you know good enough 441 uh, yards of offense i believe for the bombers and it, it was enough to get the job done i think you know you're gonna have to go against uh, a couple of big monsters on the bc line again um again like another good test for them but uh, i don't expect them to be as bad as they were in that first meeting of the season and and that uh, certainly advantages the bombers i really think brady Oliveira, obviously the offensive star for the Bombers last Friday night. He has every opportunity to be the star this Friday night as well. These teams are so evenly matched. I think BC's secondary is slightly better than the Blue Bombers' secondary. Vernon Adams, only quarterback over 4,000 yards thus far, so I think he's going to test the Blue Bombers' secondary. Zach's going to do the same to the BC Lions, and I, I think the difference is going to be in three specific areas – Bomber coverage teams, the offensive and defensive line play on either side of the ball, but that's not unusual. That's pretty much every game. Control the line of scrimmage, reduce your number of turnovers. You're sort of going to win the game. But I think Brady is the one player that's head and shoulders above his position opposite on BC, and 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 Brady is going to, I think, really earn his money on Friday night in Vancouver. Yeah, and take a, another big step towards a potential uh, MOC award at the end of the year, uh, which I would think he's the front runner okay, for. Okay, listen, listen. He is he is not the front runner. He is in the sh- he is a lock. He is a le- lead what, what 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 do they call it? The the lock, the lead cinch or the lead pipe, the le- Bottom line, he's a lock for outstanding Canadian cuz he's in the conversation for most outstanding player. Absolutely. Um, you know, and, and two of the other guys that are in that conversation were on the field Friday night. And Sorry, not to, and not, to, not to yell, but no, uh, I, I, will, I, will defend, I will defend Brady Oliveira. up about Brady Oliveira. Listen, I love it. that's the way he plays. He like I love to watch him play. He calls it, you know, Brady brand football and, and the whole idea of just knocking guys down, set, set them up, all knock them down. He earns his yardage. You know, he doesn't rip off 25, 30 yard runs. He'll do it once in a while, but that's not his bread and butter. He works hard. He works for every inch. And I really believe that he's on the verge of getting his due. So uh, I wasn't suggesting you were saying otherwise, but he is a lock as outstanding Canadian. 
And I think after this game Friday night, we'll know whether or not there's any conversation other than Vernon Adams, Zach Caleros, and Chad Kelly in terms of MOP overall for the league. Yeah, uh, and I'll push uh, the Brady Oliveira uh, flowers to her over the verge and I'll give him some now um, but you know for a guy that was hailed as a, a protege to Andrew Harris um, you know with Harris on the back nine in his last two seasons and of course Oliveira went down I think in week three of his rookie year and lost that whole season the team won the Grey Cup and then Harris starts with a suspension the next season you only really get about uh, 14 15 full weeks to kind of be the understudy to Andrew Harris and I mean Brady Oliveira has looked every bit the part ever since 33 uh traded blue and gold for double blue and um you know for winnipeg to move right along with one oak park bulldozing back to another it's been awesome so um yeah just uh, can't say enough about that guy and, and a great guy to cheer for too so your concerns for friday night we can tout all the good things we want w- where are you a little bit nervous what do you think the signs will be that the blue bombers have come ready to win what'll be the signs that they might be in tight against the lions friday night I think we start watching, you know, the first couple of drives for the Bombers on offense and and you're going to get a good sense of how this O-line looks against the BCD line because they got absolutely chewed up in their first meeting in Winnipeg and it was not pretty and you can have all the receivers in the world going against a good secondary and I still think Winnipeg's overall group is better. Like, I think these guys are going to get open. It, you don't know if it's going to be Drew Wallatarski or Dalton Schoen or Kenny Lawler, whoever it is, but somebody's going to, you know, take a look back and, and probably have be able to put their hands on the football. It's, is Zach Claros going to have enough time to deliver that football to the receivers? So, um, and particularly, I think I'll be watching the inside of the defensive line. We know Matthew Betts had just an insane game in week uh, three there against the the Bombers with four sacks or five sacks, whatever he had. And it wasn't Jermarcus Hardrick's finest day, that's for sure. Um, I think I'll be watching the interior more than the, uh, the two stalwarts on the outside of this Bombers offensive line. It's going to be a fantastic game. I've called it a, a, an extra. It's a bonus playoff game as far as I'm concerned. The first genuine marquee matchup of the season, although Toronto, BC earlier this year, you could have billed it that way, did not live up to expectations. Vernon Adams with six interceptions in Toronto against that very tough Toronto defense. But uh, this is a playoff game for all intents and purposes. I think I'm using those words correctly in the in the proper sequence. Skyler. Last week of July was the second meeting of the year between these two teams. And ever since the final whistle on that one, where the Bombers gave it right back to the BC Lions, we were looking at this game and and the one that had just played out last weekend. Of course, that didn't turn out for the circumstances that we talked about with you know the Argos having the East wrapped up. But it was that game and then this one against the BC Lions. And you're going to know where you stand after that. Are you going to be hosting a West semifinal game? Are you going to be having a week off and hosting a West final game at IG field. Could it go even worse than that down the stretch? It's still possible. Um, We'll know. We'll know by Friday night, late Friday night. I think in 1984, and I should have looked this up, uh, 1984, I think the Bombers and the Lions played in the last regular season game of the year in Vancouver to decide who would get first place. And the Bombers lost. I think it was on a, I think it might have been Halloween night or thereabouts. And it was not good. And the Bombers managed to come home. They hosted the West semifinal against Edmonton. 
managed to dispatch Edmonton. I think it was Warren Moon's last game. No, that was Matt Dunnigan. Warren Moon's last game was in 83. The Bombers beat Edmonton in the West semifinal back-to-back years. In 83, BC beat them to go to the Grey Cup in their home stadium, and the Bombers went into BC place beat BC Lions in the West Final in 1984 and broke the following weekend their 22-year drought for Grey Cups between 62 and 84 when they beat Hamilton 47-17. I know that's a lot of numbers, a lot of years, but there's a lot of history between these two teams. And yes, it's uh, it's 30-plus it's years removed from that, but the idea that these two teams are facing off in a game like this in a regular season game so late in the year to decide who gets first place ah it's got me excited man well and it, this is a bc lions team that you know they were taking the league by storm last year under nathan rourke and you know they came up against all the wiley vets in winnipeg and couldn't get it done at ig field in a playoff game and uh you know while rourke's moved on Vernon adams has certainly picked up not right where rourke left off but i mean he's not too far behind all too close to yeah <laughs> yeah left off, right? <laughs> a lot closer than a lot of folks thought especially here in winnipeg i think i thought a lot of people were licking their chops when they saw rourke uh, made the jacksonville jaguars roster there so Man, it's uh, it's been set up for you know quite some time. Some might even say since uh, November of last year for these two teams to play a meaningful game in in the last third of the CFL's regular season, and it might not be their final matchup yet. So I'm fired up for this one. All right, that's it. Uh, I was driving the bus there. Anything you want to say before I, I let you go? And uh, you know, election night Tuesday here in Manitoba. And then all eyes on Bombers-Lions Friday, BC Place. Monday night football tonight, my Seattle Seahawks playing the New York Giants. Three straight, maybe, Toronto Blue game, uh, Jays playoff games, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday night, Bombers-Lions at uh, at BC Place. I'd, oh, I'm going to need a day off of Saturday. You have uh, quite a week, and, the blue, and, the, and not to mention the Jets start their season <laughs> yeah. Thursday in Calgary and then home Saturday afternoon. Oh, my goodness. It's going to be a fun week for you, Skyler. <laughs> Fired up for it. Thanks, Pour buddy. the coffee. So that's it. Don't forget to download, subscribe, and share the Blue Bomber podcast. And also, in case you didn't already know, Monday night's Coaches Show with Derek Taylor and Mike O'Shea will be automatically uploaded to the Blue Bomber podcast. So if you want to catch a rerun of that or catch it and listen to it at your leisure, you can do so by subscribing to the Blue Bomber podcast. We will recap this week's game next week and look ahead in the Canadian Football League, focusing on, of course, your Winnipeg Blue Bombers. Thank you for spending some time with us.